0: Hello and welcome to the Church Times podcast. I'm Hattie Williams, senior reporter, and I'm joined by Ed Thornton, assistant editor, and Adam Beckett, news reporter. If you're not a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try it out now. Ten issues for £10. Visit our website, churchtimes.co.uk, forward slash subscribe. This week, we discuss the Lord's Brexit debate and campaigns from the Bishop of St Albans, Dr Alan Smith, on gambling and marriage certificates. First, In the House of Lords this week, the Bishop of Leeds, the Right Reverend Nick Baines, condemned the corruption of public discourse in the Brexit debate, telling politicians to model good ways of disagreeing well. Here is an edited extract of that speech from Parliament Live.
1: Brexit has unleashed the normalisation of lies and rendered too easily acceptable the demonising of people who with integrity and intelligence venture to hold a contrary view. We're in danger of securing an economic platform at the expense of a culture of respect and intelligent democratic argument.
0: Adam, you covered the story this week. Can you tell us more?
1: The withdrawal bill is um, the piece of legislation that will transfer all EU law into UK law um, after Brexit. So it's a huge piece of legislation and it's controversial uh, for multiple reasons, one of which is um, the so-called Henry VIII powers, uh, which will give ministers the powers to um, amend laws without the consent of Parliament after Brexit. Um, Ministers say they need these laws, these powers, in order to change things easily. Politicians, MPs and peers uh, both say that more scrutiny is needed, really. The Bishop of Leeds uh, warned that we must avoid uh, Brexit Britain becoming Tudor Britain, Um, a joke about the Henry VIII powers, because lots of people are concerned that future governments can use these powers to do almost whatever they want uh, with laws. But he also spoke for quite a while on uh, what Brexit has done to political discourse. He said that Brexit has unleashed a normalisation of lies, a uh, something familiar to you, um, I'm sure, if you think about the £350 million of the NHS and other kind of misquoted points and slight aberrations in the Brexit debate. But I think it's not particularly controversial to say that Brexit has... Soured political debate, it's divided the nation and as uh, so often before, uh, bishops in the House of Lords have called called for um, more harmony.
2: Interesting to hear Bishop Baines using the phrase politicians need to model good ways of disagreeing well that's um, straight from the Archbishop of Canterbury isn't it, when he calls for the church to model good ways of disagreeing well, so it seems to be importing some of the language from church debates into public life Uh,
1: Absolutely, I think everyone within the Church of England uh, has experience of bridging divides, and that's something that I think uh, politicians, especially in the House of Lords, where things are less um, confrontational and people tend to respect each other more, uh, uh, as we saw with the, uh, the resignation of one of the ministers this week, Lord Bates. The Bishop at Leeds also asked a question which has been spoken a lot of in recent weeks, which is, what do we actually want the country to look like after Brexit? Something that many people don't think the government has actually laid out yet. The former Brexit minister, Lord Bridges, also asked this question. He said, we need to ask the question, what agreement do we want to strike with the European Union? The Bishop of Leeds says, um, at the end of this process, what sort of Britain and Europe do we want to inhabit? And that's at the core of all debates around Brexit at the moment, even if Lords are only debating a very specific piece of legislation.
0: This speech by Bishop Baines got picked up quite widely in the, in the media. Is there something to be said for bishops kind of getting involved in quite gritty debates and actually having something to say about it and, and their experience from the church
1: I, I don't see why not they're in the they're in the house of lords for a reason uh, i think the bishops in the house of lords are very well respected um, a lot of them have their own specific areas they can speak of there's lead the bishops on education on um, the environment things like that but but also i think they bring a degree of calm to proceedings as well uh when it's a uh, a Lib Lib Dem Lord saying one thing and then a UKIP Lord saying another thing, Um, as we saw in the debates on Tuesday and Wednesday, things can get quite fractious. When a bishop stands up, especially uh, someone with the authority and knowledge um, of the Bishop of Leeds, people listen. And I think it's a very important point to make. Um, the, The Brexit debate should be all about disagreeing well. Now and in the future, politicians, people, commentators, everyone would have to accept that people have different views on this and treat each other with respect.
2: I was talking to someone the other day in Parliament who said um, Bishop Baines's speech went down really very well with the other peers. He said he'd, he'd really arrived as a Lord Spiritual, partly because it was a packed chamber. Well, is isn't always a packed chamber for when bishops speak on, on bills. He was sixth on the order paper, so a lot of people there to hear him. And I think what he said about um, the, the poisoning of public discourse really resonated with a lot of people. So uh, I think that's good for the Church of England that one of the Lord Spirituals has, has made such an impact
1: Oh, absolutely. I I think um, in the House of Lords as well, um, especially when it's on such a divisive issue like Brexit, when um, uh, a Conservative Lord like Lord Lawson stands up and speaks, when a Labour Lord like Lord Adonis stands up and speaks, you know what they're going to (laughs) say. Lord Lawson's going to call for the hardest Brexit possible. Lord Adonis is going to call for a second referendum. So it's refreshing to hear someone not party political, speaking on the issue, and also speaking quite objectively on the issue as well.
2: Where did the bishops stand on, on the second referendum? I mean, I know the Archbishop of Canterbury's... I mean, he supported Remain, but he doesn't support a second referendum because he thinks we now need to go forward with what's been decided.
1: Uh, the majority of bishops voted against um, an amendment uh, to the um, Article 50 uh, bill last year, I think, Um, to to say that they they opposed a second referendum for exactly the reasons that the Archbishop of Canterbury laid out. Um, There are a couple of outliers there, but I think until until public discourse turned to the point where it was inevitable, I don't think the bishops could back a second referendum um, in that position, possibly a lot like the Labour Party.
2: Where next for the EU withdrawal bill? This is
1: its second reading in the House of Lords. Uh, It only had two days to be debated in the, in the Lords which um, caused a lot of consternation because mm-hmm. of course it had I think eight days in the Commons um, and for a, a piece of legislation this size, time is of the essence. It will come back um, for a committee stage and report report stage in the Lords and uh, then uh, the government hope it will be passed without a lot of problems. Then that's the the flagship piece of Brexit legislation through. Um, the key bit. I mean, um, the day after Brexit, it wouldn't um, it wouldn't do if uh, there were no laws in the Statute Book. So um, this one's very important.
0: Another active bishop in the House of Lords is the Bishop of St Albans, who has recently campaigned against uh, fixed-odd betting machines, uh, which you find in pubs and clubs. But he's also kind of stretched this concern to television adverts and social media, which he said this week is uh, of deep concern to the risk this poses to children. So he kind of talks about the amount of adverts uh, during particularly sports matches in the evening, which uh, is uh, pre-Watershed. It was picked up in the media this week, actually, because of a piece of a submission uh, from the Church of England to a public consultation on government proposals to change gambling machines and social responsibility. Um, This review actually closed last week, but uh, the media actually digged up uh, quite an old um, submission from 2016, uh, which mentioned about the idea of of banning betting adverts uh, sort of pre watershed, but actually a more recent submission by the Church of England, uh, which I pulled up this week from from actually just last month, uh, speaks about the various facts and figures um, and suggests that the government has not taken into account more recent evidence, um, particularly the effect that actually this bombardment, uh, as the Bishop of St Albans says, this bombardment of advertising can have on uh, children at what he calls a critical time in their development.
2: Yeah, I mean, the bishop says it, it can be on social media or during adverts, during sports matches, and it, and it sends false messages to children. And he said a recent survey found children increasingly believe gambling requires skill and is a good way to make money.
0: The Church of England also conducted its own research, um, which they kind of put into their own submission last month. Um, but the Diocese of St Albans um, also conducted a kind of freedom of information kind of to test the waters and see the effect that uh, gambling can have on violence in betting shops and uh, also in licensed uh, clubs and pubs. Um, and there was a quite a significant increase in cases of violence uh, inflicting injury, um, but also robbery and, and criminal damage. So they pulled that up this week, um, which I, again was partly why it was in the media. But I, I spoke to um, the Bishop of St Albans, uh, Dr Alan Smith, and he was just saying his concern mainly is is that a whole generation of children, he says, um, is being led to believe that they can get rich quickly. And he, he quotes the Gambling Commission and says, more 11- to 15-year-olds now gamble than drink, smoke or take drugs. This is an issue all parents should be aware of and anyone concerned should write to their MP and ask them to take urgent action.
1: I don't think it's any great surprise that um, betting has become such a part of the culture. Just when you look at, I think in particular, football, uh, which is obviously popular with the whole nation, but also children, that so many Premier League clubs are sponsored by um, betting companies from Newcastle to West Brom. And also in the adverts it's just constant i mean even if you're watching a sport that you'd consider relatively docile like cricket and all the adverts are betting adverts and
2: there's no um there's no release from it you talk about advertising in football clubs i mean we we carry unusually a picture of two football players to accompany the story it's newcastle's winger christian atsu in action against chelsea last weekend and he's Shirt carries the logo of the team sponsor Fun88, which is an online gambling firm based in Asia. But last week, the club announced it has rem- it has removed the logo from the shirts of its youth team in response to anti-gambling pressure. We also carry a picture of Papi Sisse from 2015, and he briefly held out because of his Muslim faith against advertising Wonga, which um, the church has had an interesting relationship with. There
1: were reports in the press about a week and a half ago that the um, the Department for Culture, Media and Sport had taken uh, the Gambling Commission's views on board, and we're going to. Re- um, reduce the the maximum amount you can use on a fob tea at one time from i think five pounds down to 20p was it uh, which would obviously have a massive impact on um, just how much people can can spend and therefore the amount of damage they can have on people's lives as well
0: i think the point that dr smith is 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 bringing up particularly this week is is the ease of of, of gambling and you obviously need to be 18 to walk into a um a pub or a club but uh, to gamble you just have to have an app and the, the ease of that and, and the access for children is, is as far as he's concerned a significant risk.
2: Um, Bishop of St Albans has also been tabling legislation in the Lords on marriage registers that's right is it Adam?
1: Uh, yes so um, this is a campaign that's been running a long time on a marriage register at the moment. Obviously only the father gets to sign, it's uh, still it's surprising to me that still mothers aren't allowed to sign it as well, so this is a campaign that's been going on for a long time. Uh, Dr Smith is uh, leading his private members bill through the Lords, at the same time um, the second church estates commissioner, Dame Caroline Spellman, uh, is trying to get her private members bill through the Commons on exactly the same issue. The government have indicated that it's something they're willing to uh, help with, so um, this should be quite an easy bill to get through really. The the, the issue lies in that um, at the moment all marriage registers are hard copies, um, it would cost uh, an inordinate amount of money to replace all of them with a new column uh, just for the mother. So. Part of this bill as well is modernising marriage registers, um, digitising them, putting them online. It's as easy as just adding a bit of code um, to allow uh, mothers to, to sign the register as well. Uh, he said, Dr Smith has said that um, the purpose of the, his bill was to correct a clear and historic injustice and that uh, it's, it has been unchanged since the Victorian times when children were seen as a father's property and little consideration was given to a mother's role in raising them.
2: So this is the church leading the way on social progress. Oh, absolutely.
1: Um, It's not just a a church thing because civil registers are still the same, but absolutely, it's the church leading the way.
0: Other things to look out in our paper this week, uh, we continue our series on youth in the church, uh, so I do recommend people have a look at uh, our features this week. There's a piece by Stephen Cottrell, the Bishop of Chelmsford, on young people and confirmation, so I recommend that.
2: I think what's really good about the third part of our four-part youth series this week is that it's showing it's not just about um, smoke machines and modern guitar bands in church attracting young people. We've got the importance of confirmation. We've got Fergus Butler Galley, an ordnance at Westcott House in Cambridge, writing on how the Book of Common Prayer um, drew him to Christian faith as a teenager. That's a a really excellent piece. Madeline Davies has also been to Holy Cross Cromer Street, an Anglo-Catholic church in London, to talk to some young people. She talks to a Michael, age 14, and Jonas, age 10, about um, their experience of faith through Anglo-Catholic worship and formation. We'll have the final part of this series next week. It's really struck a chord with people. It's among our most read articles on the website.
0: Also next week, don't forget, uh, we'll be at the General Synod in London. That takes place from Thursday to Saturday this year. Uh, so do look out for our coverage online and in the paper uh, on the following Friday.
2: In our comment section this week, we've got two articles on a major item for business at Synod next week, which is Mission and Ministry and Covenant, a report um, about forging closer union with the Methodist Church. We've got um, the Bishop of Oxford, Stephen Croft, saying we must grasp this with both hands. This is a historic opportunity. We've also got Andrew Davison, um, theologian at Cambridge, who, who writes for us quite a lot, who expresses um, real concerns about this, particularly to do with Episcopacy and what he sees as departure from. Catholic order. Um, He even goes so far as to say this could cause him to seriously consider leaving the Church of England. One piece
1: that I want to mention this week, um, I interviewed uh, Canon Jack MacDonald, who's the president of the Central Committee of the Anglican Church in Belgium. But it's very interesting, uh, the Anglican Church uh, in Belgium, along with all the other uh, major churches and faiths, um, have come together to fund 150 asylum seekers' visas and also um, to care for their stay for a year while they go through that asylum-seeking process. What's interesting about this is um, it got through, despite the, um, the Belgian government's um, controversial stance on immigration, um, the uh, the immigration minister is a man called Theo Franken uh, from the, the New Flemish Alliance Party, who um, has recently got into trouble for uh, some of his other views on immigration, but he allowed this to go ahead because it's um, it's charity money, it's from the religions, not from the state itself. Uh, And with the uh, the help of a Christian charity called San Egidio, all these groups have come together to fund these uh, these families coming to Belgium uh, from Syria. The Anglican Church is responsible for for just one family out of that, Um, but um, they've all come together, and that's a great thing, I think.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment, and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk.